Hey everyone, welcome to the Naz Church Weekly Message Podcast. Here you will listen to the preaching pastor from the Naz in Grove City, Ohio. We pray you are inspired by their teachings. Well, good morning, Naz family. Thank you for joining us here in person or online. My name is John and I am an outreach and sports pastor here. If I have not had the chance to meet you in person, I look forward to that opportunity and hopefully even today. You know, before I get started, it's a privilege to be up here sharing, and I uh, don't take that lightly. I want to say thank you, as always, to our senior pastor, Dale, for this opportunity to be up here speaking, especially because every time I try to send in my worship auditions, it comes back an email return to sender, (laughs) and that opportunity is not coming to me anytime soon. I hear the worship team laughing in the background. (laughs) They know. Hey, we are in the middle of our Rivers and Roads series, and we are making our way through the book of Acts. You know, we started with the start of the early church forming and the receiving of the Holy Spirit. We've made our way now through Paul's conversion, and we are going to be looking at his second missionary journey today. We've been looking last week at Paul's letter, or the letter to the Galatians, Pastor Dale shared that. If you didn't get to listen to that sermon, go online. You're going to want to watch that, I'm sure. We've been taking this bird's eye view, this macro level view as Christianity is spreading from one city to the next, how the word and the truth of who Jesus is, is reaching not just the Jews, but the Gentiles. And so we're going to pick up today in Acts chapter 16 in the middle of his second missionary journey because we know as Paul goes from one city to the next that he's meeting people, he's planning churches. There are people that rise up and try to stop the spread of the gospel. There's people that try to disprove the gospel. And we know that as churches are planted, more churches are planted by those churches. And this is going from one place to the next. So quickly it's starting to spread that by 350 AD, over half of the Roman Empire professes Jesus as their Lord. And of course, it has stood the test of time as we are here together today as well. But instead of looking at this as a whole or looking at all of these cities, today I want to invite you to join me at looking at a few specific individuals that are highlighted, their stories are told. And I want to look at these individual stories and see if you can join me this morning in seeing what relates, what parts of their story may be applicable or connect with your own personal story. See if any of these individuals represented by a purple cloth, a megaphone, some chains, a tent, and a body slam can connect with your life today. Will you join me in Acts chapter 16? The chapter starts out with Paul inviting this young man named Timothy. Timothy joins Paul and Paul takes him along on his trips. He invites him to be a part of his ministry to see the day-to-day workings. Timothy's going to play a major role in Paul's ministry. Paul invites this young man to be a part of it. He invests in him. He teaches him. He trains him. And he's eventually going to call him to be a leader. Paul was intentional in pouring into the next generation of leaders and sharing Jesus with him. Let's just start right there and say, for those of you who have made it through the first two rounds of investing in the next generation through VBS and avoided the guilt trips of those volunteer moments, 
and you're thinking this church is doing it three times, that's three guilt trips. Listen, friends, it's not the guilt trip, it's the Holy Spirit. Sign up, nas.church slash VBS. Invest in the next generation. There's our first person covered. But I wanna look at this verse here with this next individual. Her name is Lydia. And we're gonna start in Acts 16, verses 13 through 15 here. As Paul is making his way on this missionary journey, he goes from Derby to Lystra, and he eventually gets down to the city of Philippi. And this is where the story picks up. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God and the Lord opened up her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house, and she persuaded us. Here's this lady named Lydia. She's from Thyatira, but she's living in Philippi, two of the most prominent cities of that time, two of the most influential and economic places of that time and it says that she is known for being a dealer in purple cloth. Purple cloth is a symbol of wealth and royalty, prominence. And obviously I'm sure she was probably wearing that herself. She was viewed highly in her community of great moral status and had great persuasion amongst her people. And it says the missionaries found her down at the river in a women's Bible study. I'm sure it was the updated version of Priscilla Shire at that time. And the women had gathered there for their Bible study. I'm sure it was coffee in hand and everything that you would expect of a women's Bible study. There's Lydia. It says that she's a worshiper of God, but when Paul spoke that her heart was open to receive Jesus. I don't know if any of you can relate to Lydia, but she's a lady who found herself amongst the gatherings of Christ's followers. She's a lady who worshiped God. And although it doesn't just say that she was Jewish herself, she had rejected the Roman gods of that time and had come to accept the monotheistic religion of Judaism, the God that they worshiped. And here she was putting herself in a place, gathering around these ladies, learning more, but she hadn't fully bought in. She hadn't allowed herself to go beyond the shallowness of just her presence in attending the group. I don't know if any of you would say you can relate to Lydia, I think in a room like this, or people choosing to watch online, we probably could find some relatable points of saying, that's me, I've been there, I've attended the church services, I've sent my kids to VBS, I felt good about it. In comparison to the rest of the world around me, I'm a good person. I've gone on Easter or church 
services during Christmas time, but I've never allowed myself to go any deeper in my faith. I've never signed up to take a Bible study or maybe I've been comfortable enough to be around the gatherings, but I've never led them myself. And it's in this place, in the gathering of people and a lady of prominence, we find that God doesn't desire for her to stay in that position. That through the speaking of Paul, he stirs in her heart to go deeper in her faith. Is there anybody that would raise their hand and say, I can relate to that? Is there anybody that would say, that's me? I've sat in the pews, I've attended the events, I've gone on the retreats, morally I'm good. I share the positive quotes or I post a Bible verse every once in a while. I have my kids in the Christian community, but when it comes to my own personal faith, I have not taken that step to go further. I've not pursued Christ in my own life in a deeper way. I wonder if there's any of us that would say, we know some Lydia's around us. I love how this chapter continues because in the very next story, the very next person I wanna share with you, Jesus goes to saving a Lydia to saving someone completely different. Turn deeper with me here in verse 16 of chapter 16. It reads this, it says, once we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had the spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the most high God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept us up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, the spirit left her. I love this passage because it shows the depth, the length, and the space that God is willing to go to save someone. See, here's a young woman who was a slave. She didn't have control of her own future. She didn't have a control of her own being. And here she is walking around behind these missionaries saying, attention, attention. Listen to these guys. They're telling you about Jesus. In a mocking way, she's like, hey, look over there. She's a hype man for these missionaries. In a mocking way, she's making fun of Christianity and the message and good news that they're sharing. Don't you see how this plays out? I love the way it's translated because it says that Paul becomes so annoyed, I can just see it. This girl's following him around. You see him pause, eye roll, look over the shoulder. In the name of Jesus, get out of her. He's like, he's had enough. And isn't that something that when he speaks that in the name of Jesus, that she is immediately freed? Maybe there's some of you that can relate to this young lady today. I love that about this church because we have seen people saved from demonic oppression. And I'm sure if I would ask if that's you to raise your hand, hands would go up. But I wanna broaden it even more because I think there's even more ways to relate to this young girl. Because not only is she possessed, but she's oppressed. 
She's held under as a slave to somebody that she would not want to follow. The relationship she has with her owner is to the benefit and well-being of that man. And she's making money for them. She's selling herself for the approval, for the benefit of somebody else. She's battling this oppression and these addictions in her life that she just can't seem to get a grasp of. Maybe there's some of you in this room that would say, I've been oppressed. I've felt like I've had to live my life to the approval of somebody else that wasn't Jesus. Somebody that had control of my life and the decisions that I made. I've lived trying to please them over and over and it's been unfulfilling and unsatisfying. I've had addictions in my life. Things that I've been associated with Drugs that have weaned its way into my life I can't get control of anymore. Alcohol that I can't seem to make it one day without having. Sexual relationships that I've given myself to over and over just to feel good in that moment, but it has a grip on me. I can't let go of the past. Maybe some of you can relate to this young girl today and say, That's where Jesus saved me from. That's where God extended his grace to me and saved me. I can relate in some way to her. You know, the owner of this young girl is not pleased with her freedom that she's found, the steps of hope that she has received in that moment. And so he calls on the leaders of that time to come and arrest Paul and Silas. And so the leaders agree, they call a jailer to come arrest them. And scripture of a story many of us are familiar, it says they call on the jailer and he comes and binds them up. He puts them in chains and the scripture says he confines them in an inner room. And now bound in chains, they are put into a place of stocks and being held in a jail cell. And it says that they're placed in the inner jail cell, that they're in a position of discomfort so much that they can't get free. Let me tell you something. We often look at this story in relationship to Paul and Silas and their way out of it. If you're trying to stop the move of God, if you try to lock up the spread of the gospel, be ready for an earthquake. That's just how God shows up. He's gonna make a move. In the same way that the jailer has bound them up, that they're restricted, oftentimes as we look at this, we know that Paul and Silas start to worship and praise. And there's power in your praise and your worship when you speak the goodness of God in the midst of your trials and circumstances. That's a sermon for another day. But in the midst of being bound, tied up, tortured, It says that God shows up and he frees his people. The doors are flung open. And I want to look at the rest of this from the jailer's perspective with you today. Find me in verse 27, if you will. It says, the jailer woke up. And when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We are all here. The jailer called for lights, 
rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You in your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all the others in his house. And at that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He filled and he was filled with joy. I'm gonna come back to that. Because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. I wanna tell you a little bit about this jailer and some study, he's a Roman soldier. Roman soldiers as a way of being recognized, almost as a form of retirement. He was given this jail in a prominent city to oversee. He and his family could find a place that they could retire, that they could rest. And so when he gets the call to come arrest these men, it should be no surprise because of his life experiences that he takes it another step further. It says that he binds them up. He placed them in stocks and hid them in an inner cell. The inner cell, the deepest parts of his jail, where every other jail cell would have had this floor that sloped all of their own blood from being beaten. Their feces would have flowed down toward this inner cell. And that's the place he chose to put Paul and Silas. He chose not to just arrest them, to bind them up, to torture them. Because he as a jailer, as a Roman soldier, was a man very familiar with hurting and harming the people around him. He had experienced things in his life, battles, wars, that he maybe didn't want to associate with, maybe didn't want to be known by, but that's all he did know. When he was told to respond, to act, to harm, to hurt, to take the life of somebody else. He had to be obedient and he was recognized and rewarded for it. That's how he got this place of prominence as a jailer. He was exposed to some of the worst things in society, some of the worst actions of harm to others that anyone would ever wanna see, the most grotesque moments that the Romans were known for. They didn't walk into a new city, give high fives, hugs, and handshakes. There's a reason that the cross behind me was placed on top of a hill, and they hung Jesus there almost as a billboard saying, this will be you if you don't obey us. This was the life of that man. No wonder the natural response of him getting this command is to express his anger, to show the inside bitterness and to bring pain and torture onto those who were brought before him because that's what he possessed, that's what he knew. And when the jail cells open and the earthquake happens, the only way to get out of a terrible situation he has is to take a sword and take his own life. And in that moment, God's hand reaches through Paul speaking up and saying, don't harm yourself. We are all still here. And the grace for his life to be saved reaches through the inner cell of that jail. 
And it goes on to say there in verse 34 that the man found joy. Maybe some of you can relate to the jailer. You've had life experiences that you're not proud of. You've gone through things, you've seen things that are grotesque, that highlight the worst in humanity. You've had things happen to you. You've been associated with actions that you don't wanna be labeled with. Things in your past that you can't get over that describe who you are now. We see this so many times when our men and women come back from war. And throughout all of history, this has been a common theme that they've experienced some of the worst things in the worst moments in the terrible places of conflict and they bring it home with them. And now we have a term for it called post-traumatic stress disorder because the inner thoughts and memories that often keep them from having peace of their own rest and sleep, their mind races and replays over and over and it hardens them and they wrestle with the anger and the bitterness of why me, why them. And oftentimes it's taken out on the ones nearest that they love the most, closest to them. And it's in that place that the gospel and the good news through the speaking of Paul reaches. And he says, I wanna be saved. And through surrendering his life to Jesus, he experiences, it says specifically, joy. Are there any of you here that have those emotions, the things of your past, the trauma that you can't get over, that you haven't been able to fully surrender to the Lord and ask him to save you from that? You have not experienced the joy in him. I wanna tell you there's hope in the name of Jesus Christ. The same God that extended it to this jailer and his entire family, it says, was baptized, is the same God that would extend it to you and I today. Before I get into these last two stories, I want to pause right here because I want you to see the scope and desire of God in the book of Acts, chapter 16. People that are surface Christians, and he wants them to surrender and go deeper. People that are spending their life running around mocking Christianity, mocking the times when God didn't show up. People prayed and they didn't get answered the way they want. Mocking the people who go to church or tithe or give their money or send their kids to that place. God reaches out and saves them from what's holding them back and their insecurities they possess. I think there's people in here that are dealing with the anger and the bitterness of your past, the torment and torture you can't get over. God is saving people still today. And some of you can say, I can relate to one of them or maybe you're a hybrid of all of those. I can connect with a few different points there. If that's you today, I wanna invite you to pray this with me this morning, to receive the salvation extended from Jesus Christ as I share it with you, will you bow your heads with me? Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray as we start to relate with these individuals, God, that it was your desire to send your one and only son to save each and every person here. Lord, far beyond my words and the reach of my voice 
your grace can extend to the hardest of hearts, past the deepest struggles, the worst addictions, and the most shallow surface places that we put ourselves. God, I pray that your gift of salvation will reach them, that those listening will repeat after me and say, Heavenly Father, I accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I fully surrender to him and ask him to be the Lord of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Maybe that's you listening online. You haven't even been able to make your way in here today. I wanna let you know that healing can extend to you. And if you prayed that today, we know that there are steps in the process for you to go, but you don't have to do that alone. That's why we're here. That's why we exist. Can we celebrate that today for the people who have received salvation through Jesus Christ? If that's you, we wanna meet with you after the service. We've got a gift for you. We wanna encourage you. We wanna help you take your next steps. You don't have to do that alone. Let the healing of Jesus move in your own life today. I wanna go to the next two stories if I can here. They're gonna move us past chapter 17. Pastor David's gonna handle that next week into chapters 18 and 19. And these are for people who would say, Pastor John, I'm already saved. I've already surrendered my life to Jesus and asked him to be the Lord of my life. But let me tell you something, God's desire is not for it just to extend his hope of Jesus for salvation, but it's to help move you further along in your spiritual development. We see that happen in Paul's missionary journeys through the relationship and the characters of Aquila and Priscilla. Aquila and Priscilla were tent makers they were ones who brought Paul in and they learned from Paul. They listened to Paul. They trained under Paul and their faith grew under Paul. I brought this tarp because it reminded me that Priscilla and Aquila weren't just tent makers who learned from Paul, gave their life to Jesus, and then just allowed themselves to go away every weekend and miss, miss the church gatherings and the services at a campground or a campsite. We're good, we're saved, we're good. But in Acts chapter 18, you see the story of Priscilla and Aquila meeting this man named Apollos. He's a young man. He's preaching the word of the Lord. He's speaking about it. But it says, while he was educated, he didn't know the full extent. He only understood up to John's baptism. He didn't know the full scope of how Jesus had come and given new life and new meaning and so Priscilla and Aquila strike up a relationship with this man. They go to him, they invite him to their home, and they share the things of Jesus with him. He increases in his understanding, and they start this discipling relationship that takes place. See, it wasn't enough for just Priscilla and Aquila to come together to learn under Paul and say, man, that's really good that this guy's teaching us and we're growing in our understanding and faith but they started to look for those that they could pour into around them. I thought of how this blue tarp, it kind of looks like any of you who've flown to Florida. When you fly into Florida, you look out the window and you see all the blue little dots of everyone that has a pool, right? <coughs> In the same way, when we take our trips to Puerto Rico, you fly in and you look out and it's all these blue dots, but it's not because everybody has a pool, 
but because everybody has a blue tarp covering their roof. They've used the tarp tent making material to provide a place of protection over their home. And reminded me of this story because this week we got news of another opportunity of a few more roofs in Puerto Rico that need help to be recovered. It made me think of how Priscilla and Aquila would respond. These people are part of the church who want to make a difference, who want to go and put their own comfort aside and go make a difference. And maybe that's how some of you can relate today. That not only do you need to engage in a discipleship model where somebody is investing in you, somebody is encouraging you and helping you grow in your faith, but as Priscilla and Aquila did for Apollos, you need to be helping somebody else. You need to be spending time and pouring in, investing and going to places so that others can understand, can grow and nurture their faith. Maybe that's the challenge for some of us seated here today. We're educated beyond our obedience. You've listened to great preaching, but it's relatable because you find yourself coming in here and getting fed and then we walk out of here and we're just spiritually fat. We don't come in here needing filled or learning from others because we've shared all that we've known. You've sat in here for many years and you haven't let Christianity go beyond you. Christianity has stopped with you. You've been educated, you've known it, but you've never spoken it to another person. And it's gonna cease in your seat. Then we get to Acts chapter 20. And some of you think I'm stepping on toes. I'm about to body slam. Acts chapter 20 is one of my favorite stories. It was one of my favorite stories to teach on when I was a Bible teacher here. And I wanna share it with you. It starts in verse seven. It's only a few verses. Acts chapter 20, verse seven through 12. It reads this. Follow along with me on the screen. It says, on the first day of the week, we came together to break bread. Sounds like a great church to me. Paul spoke to the people and because he intended to leave the next day, he kept talking until midnight. Sounds like a great preacher to me. There are many lamps in the upstairs room where they were meeting. So it was bright. Look at verse nine. It says, seated in a window was a young man named Eutychus who was sinking into a deep sleep as Paul talked on and on. And when he was sound asleep, he fell to the ground from the third story and was picked up dead. Paul went down, threw himself on the young man and put his arms around him. Don't be alarmed, he said. He's alive. He then went upstairs again, broke bread and ate. After talking until daylight, he left. And the people took the young man home and were greatly comforted. You know, I think it's kind of wild that here we have Paul meeting with a body of believers. He's not calling people who didn't know Christ to be saved. He's talking to those who did know Christ, those that were in their seat that were comfortable. And here's the greatest missionary of all time, face to face, in person, preaching to this young man. And this young man's like, had enough. He's like, man, I've already eaten. I'm listening to this guy. He's a killer preacher, literally. He falls back into a deep sleep and tumbles out of three stories and dies. And Paul 
has to be thinking like every preacher, this is a great sermon illustration. He pauses his message. He runs down the stairs and notice who is authoring this book real quick. His name is Luke. He's a physician. He's a doctor. And he specifically includes the details of how Paul assesses this moment. Paul runs down the stairs, it says. He doesn't check the man's vitals. He doesn't start performing CPR. He sees the dead body on the ground. And Paul, in all of Paul's ways, runs over and jumps on top of the guy. He looks up, he's like, it's good, we got it. He's alive, don't worry about him. He's back to life. He makes his way back upstairs, says, I'm gonna go finish that sandwich now. Says he eats some more and he keeps on preaching. Can you imagine what it was like for that guy? He's dead, he's alive, get up. Come get a bite to eat and we're gonna try this again. And while physically he was dead in that moment and physically you may be tired, I think there's a lot of us that could say I can relate to that because spiritually I've come in here and I've gotten bored by this Christianity. I've gotten bored by the messages. I've gotten bored, I'm around the people on a consistent basis, I'm comfortable here I'm comfortable amongst this group. I'm comfortable hearing the things of Jesus, but I'm spiritually dead. I've gotten to the point that I am just leaning back in a deep sleep, and this isn't phasing me at all anymore. And I so bad just want to run out there and body slam a few of you. (laughs) Not going to do that, though. There's liability waivers and things involved. But I wanna wake some of you up. I wanna wake some of you up and say, hey, you, come alive. Come alive, quit laying there. Quit filling our seats with your dead body who's spiritually not moved or motivated. You're not taking any steps forward. You're leaning back and you're just comfortable here. Come alive. Where's the Holy Spirit fire within you? Have you received that? Are you listening to what God is saying to you today? Are you motivated to not longer sit back, but to speak up? You see, that's how all of this ties in. Some of you can say, I relate to that guy. I haven't been motivated, I've been bored, I've set myself off to the side, I've gone through the motions, and this just isn't doing it for me anymore. Because all you're doing is showing up and staying put, you're not investing your time, your effort or your energy. You see, God's desire was for all to be saved, for all to come to repentance, Second Peter tells us. And he's not slow to move as we understand slowness. God's desire is for everyone to be saved and everyone to be moved. But something has to happen for the church, for the gospel message to go forward. And this is where I want your attention. Recognize what happens. Paul speaks to Lydia and it says her heart is opened by the river. Paul speaks in the name of Jesus and this young girl is free from her oppression, from her addictions, from being a slave to the things of those around her. Paul speaks out of the back of a jail cell 
and saves the life of this jailer and his entire family. Paul speaks and teaches Priscilla and Aquila and they're so moved to do the same to those around them. Paul is preaching and he speaks life because he desires so much for that young man to come alive. He's willing to run to him, to jump on top of him and say, this is not what you're called to. I'm gonna speak up. I think too many times for us as Christians, we walk around and we think, I'm gonna just let people see Jesus in me. I'm gonna let people see the fruit of my spirit. I'm gonna let them see how I act and how I interact. And that's great that you think that they're looking at you, but let me tell you something. There's times and for too many of us, when people look at us, we are not spiritually attractive. Like you're average at best. You're maybe a five on a good day. But when you speak, when you boldly profess and you claim something and you live it, when you speak up, people don't look at you anymore, but they start listening to what you're talking about. They're not looking at you as a source, but when you speak on the good things of Jesus, you're pointing them to look at him, to look to him, for him to be their source of hope, of life change, of salvation. Who can you relate with today? Who are you a hybrid of today? I wanna invite you to stand. Last week I was supposed to preach and Pastor Dale was kind enough to switch weeks because I was out at a ball field. Grove City Alumni Tournament, one of the biggest events in our city. And thanks to the blessing of my wife, I was able to be at the ball fields both days. Connect with a lot of people, say hi. My team got run rolled twice. It was a really quick weekend. And on Thursday night before our game started Saturday in our group text of our team of guys that I went to school with, one of the guys that was gonna play with us, we got a text message that he had been rushed to the hospital. We got a text message just a few moments after that. He wasn't just rushed to the hospital. He was being taken back for open heart surgery. And his life was on the line. He clearly wasn't gonna be available to play left field that weekend. And then the messages started to respond and I said, hey man, let's stop and pray for him right now. We get to Saturday and he's put into a medically induced coma. And after we lose the first game, I'm not out there with any of our church teams like we are today, this afternoon. I'm not there surrounded by my friends who go to church with me or we play a lot of ball with. I'm with guys I see maybe one time a year. I tell you this story not to put any light on me in any way, but to tell you the significance and importance to speak up and tell some people to come alive. After we lost our first game, we're run ruled by 15 plus runs. I invite the other team to join us after the handshake. And we circle up in the middle of Grove City Alumni Tournament. We prayed on the field for the life and well-being of our friend. Yeah, praise the Lord. The guys were open and willing to respond and come together and do that because they recognized the need for him to be saved in that moment. Not only did we pray for his physical well-being, I prayed that the Lord would get to him and reach him beyond where I could even go. 
I got a text later this week that he came out of a coma. We got a picture of him awake and alive and he's got a long way to go and he's had some rough nights still, but let me tell you something. He's been saved because of the prayers of putting him before Jesus. He's alive still today and there's still more work to be done in his life. But I so desperately felt the move of God to speak up, to invite others into an intentional moment with Jesus Christ, to put him before my friends and my fellow classmates and to say, we don't have the answer or the hope or the solution, but we know who does and we're gonna turn to him right now. Friends, I don't know what you're struggling with. I don't know where your faith is. I don't know who you relate to. And maybe you avoided the conversation of prayer we had in the middle of this message. But I wanna invite you one more time to take the step of faith that God is calling you to do and to speak up in your life and in your world. Speak up and speak the things of Jesus. And the way that you know those things is, is when you're in close relationship with him. It just happens to be all that you can talk about. It seems to come up in every conversation. Speak hope and life when you speak Jesus Christ. Will you bow your heads with me? I wanna pray and offer salvation again to those who didn't receive it one more time. For the rest of us to come alive if we need to, let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I pray right now that your Holy Spirit will move in this place or that you have our attention right now We've committed some time to watch this online, to listen, to come here in person and to hear from you. And God, I pray just as you moved in the lives of each individual story I shared today, that you will move in the life of every person who is hearing my voice at this time. God, that you will help them come alive, that you will awaken their spirit, that they will be drawn to you, that they will no longer make excuses or live in the uncertainty, the oppression, the addictions, the shallowness of their faith, God, but they will desire a greater connection to you because they are hearing of what you can do and they want to know what a life surrender to you is gonna look like, God. I pray that you will put people in their life that will disciple them. Give them moments, Lord, to disciple others. The boldness to speak up. And may you be glorified in and through our time and conversations. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for joining us for this week's podcast. Stay connected with us at thenaz.church.